Listener Production. Hey, mate. So Michael and I have been to friends a few times and the first time we went was in 2013, two years after my accident, and we'd flown there to go to a rehab facility. It was in a village called Lamalulabat. It's got the Lebet after it because that means the baths in English. And the French have a really long history with thermal baths. It's basically like a spring, right? It contains water rich in minerals like calcium and magnesium and silica and other trace minerals. And the village of Lamalu itself was really cute. It had like these little speciality shops. So, for example, a boulangerie, which is like a bakery, and a charcuterie, which is like a deli. And the villagers of Lamalu are really used to seeing all sorts of injuries. The rehab facility had been there for you know, over 100 years and people all over the world travelled to that facility to go to the rehab centre. And because they were used to seeing all sorts of injuries, I felt really comfortable to go out for dinner with Michael and take off my compression mask for the first time. And because Michael was with me, On weekends, we'd try and go exploring. So one weekend, we went to Toulouse. Another weekend, we went to Carcassonne. And another weekend, we went to Cirque de Navicelle. So a circus like a geology term. It's an amphitheater-shaped valley. And this Cirque in particular was even cooler because it had a little mountain or a little hill inside the Cirque. It's called the Oyster by locals. And the drive to the bottom of the Cirque, it takes ages, right? So so we're driving really slowly in our rental car. Our windows are down and I am just marvelling at this astonishing geological formation. It was so cool. And we get to the bottom and I'm, I'm like, oh, my gosh, that was amazing. And Michael's like, yeah, we're almost out of petrol. Now, Michael is a very relaxed, very relaxed man. So if I said, hey, Michael, I'm going to go to a skateboarding camp, he'd say, yeah, Dal, no worries. If I say I have to do a live call for my running program, so you and the boys need to stay in this room until I'm finished, he's like, yeah, Dal, all good. And with my accident, his calm demeanour was super reassuring for everyone else in my family. You know, when the doctor said they might have to amputate my hands, he didn't flip out. He just had that attitude of, well, you know, it is what it is. And when he was told that recovery from burns takes years, again, he didn't flip out. He was like, yep, all good. If Therese can deal with the pain, then of course it's not hard for me to come to the hospital every day. So his calm demeanour, obviously it's an asset, but (laughs) his calm demeanour also means that he's not meticulous with planning. So, for example, once we had to go to Sydney for an operation, And we stayed in the hotel the night before. And I said to Michael, you've booked a room, yeah? And he said, yeah, 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 all good. I'll sort it out. And when we arrived at the hotel, it turned out Michael didn't make a booking and the hotel was fully booked. Throughout history, great thinkers and leaders have ruminated over the value of a plan. President Eisenhower once said, in preparing for battle, I have always found that plans are useless but planning is indispensable. Well, having a plan, that provides structure and direction. I guess it's also important to be flexible in the face of change. Think of it as a dance between planning and improvisation. 
We need the solid foundation of a plan to guide us. We also need to be flexible to adapt and respond to the unexpected. If we become too rigid in this dance, a curveball could spell the sudden end to what could have been a really memorable experience. As we talk about on this podcast, life isn't perfect. That's okay. So in my relationship, my relationship with Michael, I'm a planner, right? Michael just wings it. So if we're in a foreign country and we've just spent three hours getting to the bottom of a valley, it's not improbable that Michael would say, oh, yeah, we're almost out of petrol. Now, just to put this in perspective, I was still in my compression suit, my black compression mask. I had a specially designed air pillow that I would sit on because my skin was so fragile that being in contact with something would cause my skin to flower open and create a wound. So I'm really not impressed by this turn of events. And Michael says, oh, I actually reckon we've got enough to make it to a petrol station. So we start puttering our way back up the windy hill that we've just spent hours navigating on the way down. A quarter of the way up, the car starts to splutter and jerk. And in 100 more metres, it stops. Michael pulls over on the side. Yeah, right, he says. I reckon we might need to go get some help. Now, I felt like screaming. I felt like saying, why didn't you check the petrol gauge? I felt like doing all of that. But I was tired. I was vulnerable. I didn't have a lot of fight in me back in those days. So I said, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. And I go with Michael. He doesn't speak French, right? And although I'm not fluent, I can speak it a lot better than Michael. So up the side of the winding valley we walk, me slowly shuffling in my crocs, the steep incline stretching the skin on the back of my Achilles and calves. And around the bend, we see a farm and it's a monsieur, a man. And we wave to him and we communicate that we need petrol. He thinks our predicament is really funny. He's talking super fast in French. He gets into his car and he motions for us to follow him. Great, I think glumly. We're about to get murdered. He drives us to the top of the valley to a petrol station. Michael hops out and buys a fuel caddy and fills it with fuel. Then we sure knows about Lamalula Bear. If you get past his beret and moustache, he seems actually really lovely. We tried to give him money, but he won't accept it. He holds up a beer coaster and he says that he collects them. And he asks if we can send him some from Australia. We get his address. We return to our car. We wave our goodbye to our saviour. His Citroen car slowly disappearing into the mist. Six weeks later, we're back in Australia. And I go to a pub. I grab some coasters. And then I post them to our French saviour. I'm kind of glad we didn't have a perfectly laid out plan. Because that experience, not only is it a good story... But I wouldn't be able to tell it if Michael was hung up on the perfect plan. I think when we get caught up in the teeny tiny details of a plan, we give value to the things that in reality, they don't really matter. Arriving at the restaurant at 10.10 instead of at 10 a.m. on the dot, it's probably not going to ruin the holiday. So it's not really worth stressing about. I think this goes for any type of plan, a running routine, a meal plan, Looking at change as an opportunity to learn, an opportunity for an adventure, it can actually be kind of fun. So let me leave you with this. Remember that while plans provide us with a roadmap, it's the detours that add colour to our lives. 
Try not to sweat the small stuff and try not to dwell on a plan gone wrong. The universe has a way of correcting itself. You just have to be willing to see it. And maybe it might be a good idea if you check your petrol gauge as well. Thanks for listening to Terea Pitt's Pep Talk. Follow to get new pep talks every day. Listener.